So here we are. We have a recording. I was pausing a minute because I was waiting for the red light and the timer to start. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get started before we were ready. So here we are. We are talking about personality disorders. And when we got together um, last time, we did a little bit of overview about what personality dis disorders are. We talked about the fact that there's three clusters of personality disorders. And we started talking about cluster one. And cluster one personality disorders, um, again, are those ones that are kind of, we call, them, we call them odd or eccentric, all right? And they seem to have a little bit of a flair of possibly schizophrenia to them, but it, it doesn't quite fit. And these are more global. Remember, these are inflexible, maladaptive, global patterns of functioning that impact upon a person. So here we go. The person with paranoid personality disorder, this is the first of the three cluster A's. We'll go through this. We kind of did an overview last class. We'll go through it at a decent pace because I want to at least get through cluster A and cluster B today. We had some things that kind of delayed class getting started. So um, people with paranoid personality disorder, so this is the first one, are distrustful, suspicious. They expect others to take advantage of them in nearly all circumstances or situations. They're constantly on guard, constantly watching over their back, constantly suspicious of whatever might be going on. Always, you know, in some ways, I don't want to say looking for reassurance that makes them feel good. They're looking for some kind of clue that, that you can't be trusted in some way. Because again, they don't seem to trust anyone. They don't show a sense of humor. They rarely relax or get, let their guard down. Always on edge, right, in social situations. They take offense readily. They hold grudges easily um, for some unintentional slight that they've interpreted as being purposeful, malevolent, that the person purposefully did it. And these characteristics uh, help keep them isolated from others. Typically, they have few or no close friends. If they do have a relationship, it's a very strained relationship. I gave you the example of, you know, maybe class ends at 11 o'clock, takes you 15 minutes to get home. You get home at 1130 and your partner says, where were you for 15 minutes? You know, and you almost, you're almost, think about how much would you tolerate or put up with that? Probably not much. And I don't know that I could build a relationship with you in the first place because I don't know how comfortable or how much I would trust you. Make sense? So that's paranoid. And what I say about these seem to have a connection, we used to have a type of schizophrenia called paranoid schizophrenia um, that again seemed to kind of fit this. But this is more global in all areas. But the person's in touch with reality. In other words, my suspiciousness, while unwarranted, is not psychotic. Does that kind of make sense? It's got, it pushes it, but it's not quite. All right. Jealousy, envy, together with excessive view of their own self-importance are characteristic. This is one of the problems with personality disorders is sometimes the categories have overlap. So that self-importance almost sounds narcissistic, but it's not to the point of narcissism. But it kind of seems to head that way. The paranoid pattern of interacting with others may be traceable to childhood, but must begin in early or by early adulthood for the diagnosis. Normally, we talk about personality disorders being diagnosed around the age of 18, but they need to show signs that really permeate, 
permeate their whole life earlier than that. Notice it says during periods of stress, those with paranoid personality disorder can experience a brief psychotic episode, brief, but there's stress related to it. And again, it's not to the point where with schizophrenia, it's a month long. This is more transient, like, oh my goodness, and then it's kind of gone. The general approach for treatment, and here's what we're gonna find with all the treatments for personality disorders, right, is that really psychotherapy um, is going to work on building resilience. In other words, you're probably not gonna change these perspectives, these views of the world, but you can get them to cope better with them. Does that kind of make sense? So here, the general approach for paranoid personality disorder is to carefully work at a relationship, collaborate in planning goals for therapy, avoid techniques that emphasize vulnerability because they're not gonna be willing to like, for example, be hypnotized. I can't trust people. I can't trust people, I'm not trusting you to hypnotize me. And gradually challenging and testing of beliefs. We might use some antipsychotic medication, but remember, the psychosis is transient. And so mm, the question is, uh, is that gonna be beneficial? Well, only if you're in that temporary state. Um, there's no data concerning relative effectiveness of any of the above approaches. And again, someone with paranoid personality disorder may or may not ever show up in treatment. They're suspicious of everything. Why would I show to treatment? I don't have many close friends that are gonna direct me there. That's the first, you know, cluster A personality disorder. Here's the second one. This one's called schizoid. Schizoid personality disorder um, really is someone who, uh, best terminology is the ultimate loner. Um, these individuals are not interested in sexual relationships or experiences. Um, in the rare event that they do date or marry, it's because they passively accept the invitation by others. In other words, I didn't ask you out, you asked me out. I said, no, I'm not really in it, into it. You were pers persistent. You continued to hone in and hone in. I don't really care one way or another whether we get together or not. I'm not calling you, you're calling me. I'm not pursuing you, you're pursuing me. This is the person who their family might say, hey, are you gonna to come to a family get together? And they're like, I don't know if I will or not. They really have no desire, right? It's not, it's not that they're purposefully seeking to be alone, they just don't care enough that they're alone and they're okay with being alone. If they were the solo person on the face of the planet, I'd be okay with them. They, it's almost, think about a detachment really from experience. So they're there, but again, they're still saying, what I mean by still saying, they, they still have their foot in reality. They're not psychotic, but they just are indifferent. People with schizoid personality disorder, loners who seem oblivious to social cues or normal social customs, such as greetings, they just don't get it. Again, I think it's more of an indifference. There may be an increased prevalence of schizoid personality disorder in families where schizophrenia or schizotypal personality disorder is present. 
So there seems to be a little bit connection with schizophrenia there. We're not really sure what the connection is. There's no clear data that indicate it. We can't say it's related to schizophrenia, but we do see a higher prevalence when people are around schizophrenic people. And think about this. If your parent is schizophrenic and losing touch with reality, you don't want to get sucked into that crap. So your way is you just drop it. It's almost like a walling off, but it's not so far that you're you know, developing DID, which we've already talked about, but it's like a walling off of just emotions to social interaction. Um, notice it says involvement in those factors and the development of schizophrenia remains unclear. We're just not sure. Treatment, again, folks with schizoid rarely seek treatment. They're indifferent. They don't really have a problem. Everybody else has a concern about them, but they're feeling fine. No controlled studies have been completed on pharmacological or psychological treatment outcomes for schizoid. So again, it's just one of those odd ones that just, and it, it's why it's in the odd or eccentric category. Questions? The third type is schizotypal personality disorder. Schizotypal personality disorder involves social deficits and social discomfort combined with distortions of perceptions and cognitions and eccentric behavior. There is some research that suggests that this may be a precursor to a schizophrenic break later. So there does seem to be some connection with schizophrenia here. We're still not clear on that connection. It says, like the schizoid personality disorders, these individuals usually do not have close friends or confidence outside of the family members. However, here's the difference. Why are they different than schizoid? With schizotypal, they are not cold or aloof, but instead feel anxious in social situations because they feel like they don't fit in. Again, I'm in touch with reality. So I might, maybe I'm someone who's a big believer in the paranormal. Most people, you know, they'll talk about the paranormal, but I'm not just so, such a big believer in it. And I'm not saying to the point where it's psychotic, but it, people look at you and they go, oh, that's odd. Or someone who follows their horoscope, and I'm just picking here, please do not, you know, send me emails if you're pissed off because I pitched you off here, right? But someone who follows the horoscope to the point that it decides their life. That's not necessarily psychotic. They know who they are, they know where they're at, they know who the president is, they know all those kind of things. But it's almost a, 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 it's almost a, a ritualistic rigidity, if you will. And that's why it seems to approach that loss of connection with reality. So again, please don't feel like I'm, you know, picking on you, right, if you're listening at home. Their thinking and perception seems unusual to other people. Like here's some of the stuff. They may believe that they can cause events by thinking about them or have the idea that events around their, their surroundings have special meaning to them. Maybe, um, maybe I'm a Penn State fan. All right, I went to Pennsylvania State University for my undergraduate degree. Um, over the weekend was a Penn State game, right? I don't tend to watch a lot of football. Seems like when I watch the football games, they don't do well. And then I get frustrated sitting on the edge of my seat. So I tend to not watch the games. I have this season, actually. I've watched a few of the games, which is surprising. Penn State is, of course, 
undefeated at this point um, in the fall semester, 2019, right? But um, again, it was interesting. I was invited over to a friend's house and I walked in and the game was, of course, Penn State was ahead and then it started to turn and I said, uh, of course it's gonna turn, I'm here, I'm watching it. And I have this, this knack for just kind of turning the team on a negative spin. So that idea that it's all, that somehow I am, my watching it impacts the outcome in some way is so ludicrous. And I know that it was more of a joke, but someone with schizotypal personality disorder might actually believe that to the core. They may dress or speak in unusual ways. For example, clothes that don't fit together or loosely connected speech. So again, they, they start to approach that mm, loss of touch. They're, they're very odd or eccentric. This is probably the most odd or eccentric in the category. Superstitions are common and the individual may claim clairvoyance or telepathic abilities. You know, I, you go on a date with someone, you go, I, I can, you know, I knew that you and I were gonna sync. I just, it was just, it was fate that, you know, you and I connected. And you know, I, I had a dream last night. My father came to me in my dream and said that you're the person that I should probably go out with. Do you dream about your parents? that have passed away? I mean, think about that. Do people do? Do they sometimes have visions or think about their parents? Do they, do they sometimes enter their dreams? Maybe. That's not necessarily the most uncommon thing that you would ever hear, right? But the belief that that was some kind of sign, that this is what's really supposed to happen, that starts to get into that oddness, right? None of these unusual beliefs quite reaches delusional proportions. That's the difference. Again, I didn't say that my father talked to me. I said, in a dream. Could it happen in a dream? Yeah, so almost on the verge of losing it, but I still seem to be here. Does that kind of make sense? And I know I use those terms, those layman terms, like losing it, and I know that sounds derogatory, but I'm trying to explain it in a way that I think clicks for people. And I think it is losing touch with reality. You know, that's what I mean by that. The term schizotypal reveals the assumed connection between this personality disorder and schizophrenia, um, or with even schizoid personality disorder, but only, and this is, this is again where it gets tricky, only a small percentage of people with schizotypal later develop schizophrenia. Some do. It's greater than the normal population, but it's a, still a small portion. It's not enough to say this is a precursor. Schizotypal personality disorder does frequently co-occur with schizoid. Again, this is the overlapping categories. One of the reasons why the, the uh, APA wanted to revise these categories, but they were making such long-reaching, sweeping changes in other categories to take on this one would have delayed the release of DSM-5 further and it was already delayed by about 13 years. So they didn't want to wait any longer. Just letting you know. Do I believe that personality disorders will be a category that will be revised in the DSM-6 when it comes out? Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure it's gonna be some, because there's, a, again, a lot of overlap. There's also a high prevalence of depressive disorders in schizotypal individuals, which makes sense. With paranoid, I can't trust you, so I don't have many relationships. 
In schizoid, I don't want relationships, I'm indifferent. In schizotypal, I want relationships, but I feel so awkward I can't fit in. Of course, that might lead to some depressive symptoms. You can see. The treatment commonalities between schizotypal personality disorder and schizophrenia suggest that maybe antipsychotic medication might be a good treatment, but again, there's no controlled outcomes. These folks don't often show up unless there's some problem, unless maybe they are transitioning to schizophrenia. You know, you just write them off as being, well, you're just odd. Well, it's just David, he's just odd. So again, it's one of, the, one of the concerns that comes up. Now let's talk about cluster B. Now, give me about five minutes just to go over the categories and then what we'll do is we'll wrap it up from there. Yes, ma'am. Can I ask you a question about cluster A? Sure. Would you, would you, like as a way to sort of measure the severity of the disorder, would you remember them as like a fence situation? Like one, is, the first one is like staring at the fence, the other one is on the fence, and then I mean, right, right. I see what you're saying, and I'm not sure that that's the best analogy I would use, but I, I can see it. One is cautious of the fence. Okay. One could care less about the fence. Okay. And the other one understands or, or, or uh, you know, maybe wants to even reach out and touch the fence, but, but the fence doesn't want it. Okay. Think of it with people. I trust pe or I don't trust people. I don't care about people. I want people, but they think I'm odd. Right. Okay. So I think if you look at it that way, think about it with people. Okay. Yeah, because they're so close yeah. together that and I'm they, trying to figure it out in my brain how to remember which one is which. And it is. And so think schizotypal type of possible schizophrenia. Schizoid, devoid of social interactions. And paranoid suspiciousness, I think that gives it away. That may be a better way to help. Does that? Yes. Yeah. So cluster B, let's just talk generally about these and then we'll take our break again. I'll be readjusting our schedule again. Um, it's all right, we'll, we'll make it work. We still have two days to get through one and a half chapters, so we're all right. Um, cluster B personality disorder, these disorders tend to involve symptom presentations that may be dramatic, emotional, and erratic. That's the key for cluster B dramatic, emotional, and erratic. There are often times with the people in these categories, there's often times threats of suicide, frequently manipulative nature. They tend to have self-mutilation uh, acts are common. And the main components of all the cluster B includes things like impulsivity, aggressiveness, and novelty seeking. So in other words, I'm looking for something interesting or I myself have been interesting. Now you might say, well, these are gonna sound odd or eccentric, but not quite to the same degree. These folks have more problems. Again, dramatic, emotional, and erratic. Think of it that way, all right? So ready for our types? Here are the four types of cluster B. First type, antisocial personality disorder, our guy from the mall parking lot if you recall, right? Per pervasive and reckless disregard for others. Violations of rules or laws. 
impulsiveness, deceitfulness. And again, more common among males. It's one of the things we tend to see in general of the personality disorders. This is the person the laws don't apply to me. This is the person that doesn't care. One of the things that you'll read if you, you know, take a look at, it, they say that antisocial personality disorder fades with time. I don't agree. I think the mindset, you know, don't trust the government, right? You protect myself. I think that always remains, but I think people don't act on it. In other words, at first, I think people act on these antisocial tendencies and then they end up repeatedly getting involved with the law. Eventually, I think they just get tired of dealing with the law. Think about the old man who's sitting on the porch complaining about the government. Someone needs to kick their ass, right? And getting the young folks to go out and fight the battles, but now I'm sitting on the porch because I've been in and out of jail so many times. Jail's not a requirement, but oftentimes the antisocial folks end up there because they don't believe the laws apply to them. Does that kind of make sense? Borderline, that's the second cluster B. And so you can see odd, erratic, emotional, right? Cluster B, borderline, pervasive instability in relationships, self-image, and feelings. This one's more common among females. I read an article once, and this has been maybe 15, 20 years ago when I worked at the prison, right? And the article actually went to a, to a, a, a it was a poster session, an APA poster session, um, where people were showing their research. And this guy spoke up and said, 98% of all borderlines are female. And 98% of all you know, antisocials are male. And I said, really? I said, I got a lot of borderlines in our prison system, so I don't know that I agree with those numbers. But that tended to be the way it is. If you seem to be, if you're a male and you're Bucking the system, I call you antisocial. If you're female, and you're, then I call you borderline. We didn't think that women could be as vicious, and we know that's not necessarily true today. We do see some antisocial. You want a good depiction of a female antisocial? Take a look at Girl Interrupted and Angelina Jolie's uh, portrayal of her character. Um, that's a great example. So borderline, here's the, you were talking about a fence. For borderline, imagine someone teetering on the border. They never know where they fit. It's someone who's had repeated history of abandonment. So borderline folks are like, I love you. I need you in my life. You're awesome. You're the best thing. Everything's about you. I'm constantly with you. I can't be without you. The minute you do something that pisses me off, I hate you. I never want to see you again. And I push you away. I need you, but I can't have you. I want you, I pull you close, but I push you away. So imagine someone teetering on the border. It almost feels like they could go either way at any time. Great example, fatal attraction. In fatal attraction, Michael Douglas has an affair with a woman, Glenn Close, right? His wife's out of town. She thinks the affair is something way more than what it is. She starts hanging out at his house. Right, he comes home, finds her in bed. When he rejects her and pushes her away and says it's just an affair, she slices her wrist. Right, he sees it. Of course, he holds on to her and tries to save her. He doesn't have any maliciousness towards her. He just, it was just an affair. But she takes that hugging him as ah, oh, he does love me and escalates it further. 
So again, just a good example. Histrionic personality disorder, just let me you know, wrap through this chart, then we'll take our break. Histrionic personality disorder, pervasive, excessive emotionality and attention seeking. My, excuse my terminology for this, but it's the best way I can describe it. It's the drama kings and drama queens. You know the ones I'm talking about. You go into work on a Monday morning and they go, you wouldn't believe what happened to me over the weekend. Oh my gosh. And you go, let me get my cup of coffee and sit down here, right? So you get your cup of coffee and you sit down and they're like, oh my God, this and this and this and this and this. And they're yelling and they're like, um, you know, all this emotional and dramatic and everyone's staring at them and they don't care. I had a psychologist or a psychiatrist who said that anyone who has excessive tattooing, excessive piercing, especially facial piercing, was histrionic because it calls attention to yourself. Now, my argument with that psychiatrist was that there's a subculture within the United States and within the world that says that body adornment and modification is an acceptable practice of self-exploration, you know, of self-expression. But to him, like someone who tattoos half their face, <coughs> Michael Tyson, right? Someone who um, tries to turn themselves into the cat person, you know, they actually alter their tongue or, or they alter their ears. They, you know, again, have teeth implants put in so they look like vampires. Why would you do such a thing that causes so many people to look at you oddly? You're doing it for this attention and the emotionality and the dramaticness of it. All right, so the drama kings and queens. Um, I had a coworker I worked with. She came in one Monday. Okay, first of all, she was a phlebotomist at the prison. I had just met her. I went in to check to see if one of my inmates that I'd been working with had some drug tests, right, or some uh, blood tests because they were on lithium and they needed monthly, you know, blood drawn. Walk in, I sit down, doors wide open, we're in a prison, there's no privacy in a prison. And this is what I find out about her in the first five minutes. That, you know, she has her college degree, um, but she never finished her, her degree. She got her phlebotomy, you know, you know, certification, but never finished, you know, her four-year degree or whatever. When she was in high school, um, she was, uh, you know, molested. Um, when she got to college, she was raped by a couple people on the basketball team in the uh, college that she went to, which is where she didn't finish, because they um, uh, were on uh, the basketball team, and this college happened to be a, have a very uh, renowned basketball team, so they weren't going to prosecute these, you know, uh, males because, again, that would look bad on the program. That um, she was dating an officer who was currently abusive that she had you know a 16 year old son and i'm like okay wow nice to meet you <laughs> i'm david right um one monday she came in and told me about the fact that she lived by herself in an apartment with her 16 year old son her son would not come in and listen to her it was 11:30 at night on a friday he wouldn't follow her directions so at the apartment complex she called the police they came in to, to hawk to the son to get her to get him to follow and comply with mom's directions. So they're sitting out front, you know, it's like an episode of Cops, the lights are all on, everyone's staring. Why would you 
so you, again, why would you do these things? And, and I say the drama kings and queens is the best example. We'll talk more next class. Slightly more common histrionic in females. And then the final category, narcissistic personality disorder. And my perfect example, even as president is Donald Trump, please don't take that as a political attack one way or another, but I always used him as my example prior to him being president. But Donald Trump believes he's God's gift to business and everything else. Think about the narcissist. Narcissistic personality disorder, pervasive, exaggerated sense of self-importance, a lack of empathy, a need for admiration, and this is more common in males. I'll give this final thing before I, I pause the recording for today. Imagine if I was a professor who was a narcissist. I might come in and do these kind of things. You know, I'm so glad you took my class. You realize, of course, that I am the best psychology professor at this institution. We have five campuses, and there are many people who teach psychology, but I, of course, am the best. And, you know, I could teach anywhere, but the reason why I like teaching at a community college is because I know that you won't get the opportunity to work with someone of my caliber if I taught at Harvard or at Yale or, you know, somewhere else. And so I decide to give back to the community and this is my way to give back to you and share the knowledge that I have so that you can benefit. And I don't expect you to understand even a quarter of what I'm going to give to you, but I hope that you'll listen and someday you'll realize how smart I was and how beneficial it was to have me as your professor. Now, if I acted like that, you go out and key my car, you kick my ass. And I should have my ass kicked, right? Who the hell am I? Right? I can just see you probably in the back of your head going, what a jerk. <laughs> what, what a dick. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Right? But if I'm narcissistic, and I'll use people. Like antisocial will use people because it's fun. I'm like a cat playing with, with prey. And I want to see you go off. Narcissism, I use you because you're less than I am. You're subjugated to me. I am superior in all ways. So again, you see some of the overlap in behaviors, but the reason behind it is driven from other, other directions. Does that make sense? So I'll pause this now, and we'll get back together next class.